0: Today's reading is Job 1, 8-22, and 2, 7-10. through 10. It can be found on page 467 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him, and he is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a message came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, messenger came and said your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house and suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house it collapsed on them and they are dead and i am the only one who has escaped to tell you at this job got up and tore his robes and shaved his head then he fell to the ground in worship and said naked i came from my mother's womb and naked i will depart the lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said." The word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. God of grace, as we uh, listen to these words, um, we come from all kinds of different places uh, in our journey spiritually. Maybe um, this week we're familiar with the idea of a food coma. Maybe we have a spiritual coma that's been going on as well in our lives. And that we just, um, we're just, maybe our life is filled with so many things and they're not really necessarily pointing to you. They're just a lot of things. and, And we find ourselves wanting something deeper wanting to know you more, wanting you to be more real. And maybe stuff in our life just starts to feel like clutter, even though there are things we have pursued and we have wanted in our life. Others of us come, we might be a stripped bare and in a sort of spiritually raw place today, looking for um, we don't know what, something better than what we have, looking for a word of grace or something that brings hope to our hearts. And others of us might come, filled with joy and thankfulness, as we see prayers that have been answered, or we know that we were saved from a tight spot—maybe a spot we got ourselves in—and there's a sense that you, you came and you, uh, you were there for us, as much as we may not deserve it. We come from all these places on Thanksgiving week. We hear these words of Scripture, and we all say together, thanks be to God, and um, yet they're very tough words. And I don't know if our hearts are really thankful for them yet, but I pray that you join us now and give us something to be thankful for. Especially give us once again that reminder of who you are as we come to you broken and a mess and alienated from you. Bring again into our ears and into our hearts, the truth that you draw close to us and you bring us home, that you approach those who are a mess and who are broken with your grace and with your love. And you, that's, you're tenaciously pursuing us in this way, and you're doing that today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So that yeah, is the week of Thanksgiving, and um, uh, after dinner on Thanksgiving Day, or whatever you call that meal we have, um, on Thanksgiving, um, it was dessert time, and one of my uh, boys said to me, can I have a second piece of pie? And and I said, yes, of course you can, it's Thanksgiving, what kind of American are you? Come on, <laughs> you know, and have a cookie too, it's just one of those kinds of weeks, right? And um, another, uh, another weird thing that I did was, um, and this was sermon research, actually, is that I... Um, went to go buy a Twinkie uh, from the from the store, you know, because hostess bread company is going out of business and, and but I, I thought of it too late because there there's no Twinkies anymore, at least at the places where I went. And so I went to look for a Twinkie and I thought I would do a like a comparison maybe of other brands and the Twinkie, but in the end I just had to pick up something called a zinger made by I think Dolly was the name on the company, on the on the logo. And that's what I took home and I showed my kids, you know, I pictured it being a Twinkie and said, this is what a Twinkie is like, I don't think they've ever had one. And, but I didn't, you know, I, didn't, I had the Zinger. And we opened it up and we all had a Zinger and, um, and it was disappointing. So I think, what, probably 25 years ago was the last time I actually ate a Twinkie, but I feel like I know, I feel like I could still judge a generic version against what my memory of a Twinkie is. It just was that powerful of a of an experience when you're little. I, I wasn't a I wasn't like getting Twinkies in my lunch, but sometimes I get something good enough to trade for one when I was a kid. You remember this? Um, anyway, so the so we tried the Twinkie and it was it was or we tried the zinger and it fell way short. It was, you know, it didn't have enough filling in it. It was the wrong consistency. It wasn't really spongy enough. It was a disappointment. The kids kind of, you know, they didn't even finish. They didn't all finish their whole Twinkie or Zinger. And, uh, and I thought it's still a perfect uh, metaphor for what we're talking about today because um, just like I couldn't pull off a good test right out of the blue on whether a Twinkie and a Zinger and which one's better, there is no test that you can just all of a sudden decide you're going to make for whether or not your faith is genuine or... Not genuine. See, wasn't that a great segue introduction? That's advanced preaching. Twinkie to Job. Um, I just did it right there. Took your breath away. Um, but, but seriously, so, so, um, so we get into this book of Job, and, and really what's going on, the grand idea of the book of Job is, is that actually um, the suffering and the pain and the unexplained hardship um, becomes... Not just an experience, but actually a, a trial for genuine or inauthentic faith. That's that's what's going on in the book of Job. You can hear it as Satan's accusation right from the outset. Basically says, um, "Come on, Job, he's an impostor. He doesn't have real faith." You can almost sense Satan saying, "What's love got to do got to do with it?" You know, in a sense, you know, take away the stuff, right? Take away Job's stuff, then we'll see. It's not love. He doesn't love you. It's not a real relationship. He's a phony. And so as things go, Job's uh, stuff is taken away. First, his stuff, and I mean comprehensive stuff, including people in his life who are the most valuable people, the most valuable stuff in his life, plus all his, you know, all his valuables. Everything's gone. His riches, his family and his faith remains. His faith remains. uh, He proves Satan wrong, in a sense, but then it continues, and then his health and his physical comfort, all of that is taken away, and then his faith remains. Um, And so right on the outset, you get a sense, and this is a a long book. It keeps going, 42 chapters. It keeps going, but already right here in the part we read, you see Job's uh, proving God to be right. His faith is... Genuine, this genuine faith. Even though, as one person put it this week, I I love this phrasing that Job was stripped of all signs of divine blessing and all sources of joy. Stripped of all signs of divine blessing and all sources of joy. Which is actually, it's interesting because the book of Job, just in that that incredible description that we just read of what happened to him, nobody can look at this and say, yeah, but, you know, I have it worse because this, that, and the other. Nobody can look at this and say, ah, that doesn't really connect with my suffering. Anybody who's ever suffered, anybody who's ever had unexplained hardship, this book is for you. And it's, um, so it's going to teach us some things. Um, This week, I was at my parents' house, um, and on their, my parents are church-going church going People and so there's often things related to their faith. That, you know, there's books about Christianity out and here and there. And there was something on their counter that that just you know got my attention right away. it Was this glossy picture uh, slash card? You know, these things you send on various occasions to maybe you send on Christmas and so forth or a birth announcement. Caught my attention. It's glossy. It's photo. I, I go to it and I look at it. And um, in the end, it. It was just one of the most shocking things I experienced all week. So I'm looking, I I pull this card up and there's this picture of this newborn baby and uh, this picture of this beautiful baby lying there um, asleep, just a beautiful picture of life. And underneath, um, I'll just read what it said. It said, the name of this baby. And it said, given to us April 8, 2012, committed to Jesus, June five. 2012. And then these words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And there's an exclamation point on the end of bless his holy name. Psalm 103. That is very similar to what Job does in this book when he says at the end of um, chapter 1, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised, he says. After losing everything. And so, I think that our gut response, our our natural instinct is to see what I grabbed off my parents' Counter and if you see something like that and you say, yeah, right, exclamation point, blessed be the Lord. I think our natural instinct is to want to test that statement for authenticity. Is that just religious gobbledygook? Something you say because you think you're supposed to? Who could actually say that? Is that genuine faith? And Job does the same thing. And that's actually... So in a sense, that's the picture of faith, of genuine faith that we get from the book of Job. So I'm just letting this out of the bag early here of what because I think we have just really have to process it and we're going to process it a little bit. Um, but this is basically the statement, the overarching statement of the book, that genuine faith, the genuine faith God is interested in, the genuine faith we see in Job is that God is still worthy of my full adoration and trust even amidst great unex, unexplained hardships and horrors of this world, God's still worthy of my trust and my adoration. Even amidst great unexplained horrors and hardships, can you can you um, put your mind? Can you wrap your mind around it? That's the message of Job. Very difficult. Um, and so suffering. What we see is suffering tests that out. Suffering sees where you're at within, you know, in relationship to that kind of faith. And um, suffering and unexplained hardships, they do all kinds of things. Let me just kind of try to frame it in two two ways that we're going to look at it. Is that when you face unexplained hardships, you examine yourself. And secondly, you reconsider who God is. It's very simple. You examine yourself and you reconsider who God is. First of all, you you examine yourself. And when you do this, when when you're facing suffering and trials and pain and the horrors of life, um, often it reveals a very common kind of imitation faith that we are holding to most of the time. Um, If you've ever seen the movie Amadeus, Amadeus, however you say it, um, so there's this character you know it's a fictional account of, um, of Mozart and Salieri um, and how this, this composer Salieri um, dedicates his life to music but then along comes Mozart and, and Salieri is filled with envy because Mozart's so much better it's exactly what Salieri wanted to be and Salieri is just falling way short um, and so these, these, this is Salieri's character he actually portrays for us this imitation faith Perfectly. He explains himself this way, this is a quote. He says, While my father prayed earnestly to God to protect commerce, I would offer up secretly the the proudest prayer a boy could think of. Lord, make me a great composer. Let me celebrate your glory through music and be celebrated myself. Make me famous throughout the world, dear God, make me immortal. After I die, let people speak my name forever with love for what I wrote. In return listen to this in return, I will give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility every hour of my life. That's Salieri's um, way of making a deal with God. Um, And eventually, so that's a kind of a faith. That's a kind of faith that we often kind of fall back on. But then what happens? It's, It's great how it's shown in this movie is that as soon as it seems God doesn't come through on his part of the deal, then this is what Salieri says, out like a prick, an angry prayer at God. He throws a crucifix in the fire and he says, from now on we are enemies, you and I, because you choose for your instrument a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy, because Mozart just kind of lived, you know, in the movie, he's just living however he wants to live. There's no sense of being godly. There's no sense of following the rules like Salieri did, and then he's so successful. So this is his prayer. Because you are unjust, unfair, unkind, I will block you. I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creature on earth as far as I am able. Salieri ends up having a cheap kind of faith, a faith that you look at and you say, that's not real. That's, that's imitation because as soon as the thing he wanted God to do for him isn't done, he's out the door. And this is something true For all of us, to some degree, we do this. And nothing can be more frustrating than when you lay out the rules for God and you have to sit around and wonder why God's not following them. It's a frustrating place we get ourselves. It's a frustrating point that suffering always seems to bring to the table. A lot of us, basically, when we face unexplained hardships, our first conversation that we have to have with God as we examine ourselves is, hey God, I thought we had a deal. That's that's. That's part of just what we all end up having to realize is that I'm thinking we had a deal here and it's getting, it's getting creamed. It's getting blown out of the water. This is not how I thought things worked. I remember when I was um, in college and I worked at a summer camp and uh, it was a Christian summer camp and so all the counselors, the 50 plus people who worked there were all church going, Christian kind of faith. That's why they were hired to teach at this camp. Um, and so... Uh, on one of the weekends, and weekends are when you kind of say, hey, who's going into town? Hey, can I hitch a ride? And, and you go, and you, and you go, whatever errands you got to run. So I went with this uh, one gal into town one weekend, and uh, I remember her explaining on the way the person she was going to visit, a good old friend of hers who we were going to go visit, and she explained this person's situation and how this person that we were going to go visit, who well, I didn't know, um, had deep faith, deep prayer life, a consistent, sort of authentic conversation with God, a, a deep desire to obey God. Um, and it was sort of one of those people that my friend admired because she just lived her life uh, always in the presence of God. And everything was processed in terms of faith. And then she said, but this, this, this young woman has a, a physical ailment, and she explained it to me. And basically it meant that this woman, you know, it takes her forever to put clothes on in the morning. She can't really go out on her own. She might have a day where she feels good, but more often than not, she has a day where she feels terrible. And there was no end in sight in this sense of, suddenly this just came on and now this is her life. And I remember distinctly this feeling of it being sort of like an, an intellectual dead end for me. How do I make sense? That didn't compute with how I thought things work, worked in my sense of faith and what, this servant of God, this person who's done all everything right, and now this? Certainly there's some silver lining. Certainly there's a happy ending. No, it just was kind of this perpetual situation. How do you deal with that? Um, and this is what suffering does, is it begins that conversation. It begins making you think through, what are your assumptions about how it works? When... Um, when City Life was beginning, and Lisa and I were pouring our um, our time and our energy into starting the you know the first year of City Life Church, and it was so few people to help with things. Now there's so many more uh, that it, so much of the burden, week in and week out, was a tiring kind of thing of keep pouring into this, and then not getting that positive feedback loop necessarily on Sunday of 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 people in the chairs. Um, because it was just starting out and so often the sense of like this is really hard this isn't what i pictured it would be aren't the people just supposed to come and isn't it supposed to just grow and suddenly we realize all these expectations that we had in a sense that i had on god that suddenly he wasn't following those those things that i expected so you start asking questions a lot of times where our minds go immediately is with all kinds of suffering and struggle that we face am i doing something wrong is God punishing me? That's what Job's friends in the rest of the book of Job, they're convinced. That, um, and their faith is shown, that version of faith is shown to be, it's stamped uh, imitation in the end of the book. But that's their conversation. Certainly you've done something wrong. If you would just kind of right your wrong, God will stop, he'll let his hand off. That's where we go. Did I do something wrong? Did I miss, did I miss here what God said for us to do? And I think that's applicable when you think about the last year, facing some of those feelings again in the last year right here. You know, the room's not quite as full as I pictured in two, 2012, and we've been at this four o'clock service, and more and more it's like, no, not a good time for showing up. It interrupts nap time a little too often. Um, more of that struggle again, but I find, okay, a little more perspective about expectations and how to deal with struggle. So you look inward when you struggle, and you look at what kind of relationship did I have with God, and far too often um, we, have an, we have an inferior version of a relationship with God that we're working with. When I was um, looking to, to do our next kind of upgrade in terms of our car as our family's growing, whenever this has happened in the past, I do a little bit of research. So I found an article about car salesmen, and I found it to be very helpful in terms of how to navigate things um, in buying a car, because this car salesman um, was, was telling all the tricks of the trade, and the dominant thing that he said, the big thing that he was saying, um, that he would tell young car salesmen, you know, how to be a good car salesman, he said, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. You have to build real, credible relationships with a, sort of a broad client base. You know, you've got to send them cards on their anniversary. You've got to show up at their kids' football games. And then, you know, the, the, the sales will just come. That was his idea. You know, you think about that. Is it really a relationship? You know, is that really a credible relationship? May, the only way that it could be, I mean, you say, no, that's not a relationship. You're just in it for the sale. You're just in it for the money. You're just being used. Those people are being networked, you know, for your business, for your money. Unless maybe, you know, there could be this, you know, if you lose your job and you're still going to their games and sending them cards, okay, maybe it transitioned into an actual, but for the most part, in a sense, that's, you know, that's what suffering does. It kind of makes you start to say, wait, was I networking God? Is that what what was going on? Suffering, unexplained hardships, what it does, it makes you examine your faith the way Job does in Chapter 2, verse 10, when he says this piercing statement that just, just uh, uh, summarizes all of what I, I've just been saying. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Have you asked that question? Have you sorted that out? Has God brought you to a place where you've had to sort that out? In a sense, what are you enamored with? Are you enamored with God or the gifts God gives you? That's the question as you do the self-examination that the book of Job and that your own struggles will, will bring you to make. But second of all, um, suffering and hardships, uh, the, there's another side of it: is reconsidering who God is, really reconsidering who is God. Because as you're struggling, as you're suffering, as there's pain, um, you end up basically saying a lot of, what's going on with God while I'm going through all of this? Where is God? What's he doing? What's happening behind the curtain to reconsider who is God? What assumptions are you operating on about God and who he is? You start asking, do you have the same presupposition that Job's friends had? Their presupposition was basically, you must always be able to make sense of what God's up to. Is that your expectation? That in life, as in your experience and in, in the, the ups and downs of life, that you should always be able to make sense of what God's doing. That, that in the end of the day, you deserve, in a sense, to know enough that you can make sense of what God is up to in your life. Um, I, don't, I don't think it takes very long to just stop. And I mean, basically, you just, when you just get that idea out there, you say, wait a minute, I guess that's not... If I always have to make sense of what God's up to, then is it a God? Am I dealing with a God? Is there any, you know, in a sense, is there any distance enough for, for this being that I'm dealing with to really actually be a God uh, who's greater than me? Or if, if I have to always be able to make sense of what he's doing, then perhaps I'm just dealing with something that's a sort of made in my own image versus the other way around. God needs to basically be able to say, in order for him to really be God in your life, there will be times where I will have reasons for what I'm allowing right now in your life that may never make sense to you. For a number of reasons. Maybe it's over your head, or maybe you just don't have the security clearance, in a sense, to deal with this information. When I was a kid and we did a field trip i think in high school to the lawrence livermore lab and we got a, a badge that we'd all wear that had like a color code of the security clearance we could now have to go into this lab i forget what they all do there but i know there was nuclear kind of testing and um uh i don't remember i don't i don't remember much about physics but anyway they do all kinds of high level things and you know there's all these levels there's like five levels of security clearance and we got you know the the idiot badge, right? We got like the level one that anybody who wants to visit can get. But there were these other levels. There were doors that we couldn't go in, right? There was information that is not prudent and advantageous to hand out to high schoolers at this place. And we understand that. We get that. Do we get that that might often be what's going on with God? That is it possible that there are just things that if we, it wouldn't even be good for us to know the bigger picture, it would just create way more questions. It would—it's not even our place sometimes to know the why, get the answer to the why question. It's actually a big lesson that Job had to learn in this book. As a result, I mean, this is—I mean, that's is terribly difficult. If you're—I'm being really kind of brief with a whole book, and I know that it, you might be in a place where this is absolutely raw and real for you right now. In a sense, I want to spend more time. So sorry for kind of sweeping over all these things, but basically this book and your own suffering brings you to a place of saying, can you say that God can be accomplishing ultimate good right now, even though I, don't, I, haven't, been, been, I haven't been briefed on it, and I don't happen to be able to see any of the signs of it yet? And God can still be accomplishing ultimate good right now. That's one of the things reconsidering um, that happens as you reconsider who God is. Another thing that happens is you deal with the issue of alienation. And someone will say, "You might have heard this even." Someone will say, "Basically, yeah, I went, you know, I went through this really hard time, or I'm going through this stuff, and basically, this suffering has has driven me away from God." Has it really? Um, the Book of Job says, "No." It didn't. The Bible, in a sense, says, No, I, I don't know that that's how it is. Because the way the Bible looks at it is, is that we're all, our, our status quo, our standard default place in life is that we're very alienated from God. And sometimes what hardship does is hardship and unexplained hardship is just the thing that wakes you up to your condition, to just how alienated you are from God. It makes the issue more relevant and more pertinent to focus on and to think about. And the testimony of suffering people, if you get in a small group at City Life and someone shares what kind of suffering or hardships they've been through, what they'll say, the testimony of sufferers like Job, is that hardship doesn't alienate you from God. But often, this is what they'll say, is that hardship was the tool by which God made me aware of my need, aware of the the true story of my alienation from God. So if, you know, if that's where you are, just as we wrap up things, if, that's, if, if you are in a place where you feel alienated because of hardship and you feel that alienation, don't despair just on the basis of this one fact. Job, Job was never more close to God. Job was never more on God's mind than when all of this stuff was happening to him. You realize that? Job was on God's mind. Job was having, God was having conversations about Job. God was thinking about Job, watching over Job like never before. Job didn't know it, but he was. He wasn't alienated at all. Right in the middle of the worst that was happening, he actually was not alienated from God, and neither are you. And not only do you have that, like that assurance of what it was like for Job, but you also have so much more. Because um, as, a, you know, as Christians, we look to Jesus and the cross as at the center of our faith. And when you look at the cross, you see someone who came. And you see someone who's, you know, I just said basically in your, your unexplained hardship, you're not alienated from God, even if you feel like you are alienated. We have someone who I can't say that about. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he experienced ultimate alienation. His suffering was alienation from God. That's why why it's so meaningful when he cries out on the cross, Psalm 22. My God, why have you forsaken me? And he gets no answer. And he experienced that so that you will know that you never have to. So that the alienation that you imagine, you're starting to feel like, I I must be alienated, I must be completely separated, I'm on the wrong track, I'm never going to be, look at all this terrible stuff. That's why the cross happened, so that you would know that Jesus took your place of ultimate alienation so that you could take his place in the Father's arms and know that it's always true. That's the gospel. That those of us who deserve, in a sense, our default drive is to run from God, our default drive is to be alienated from God, and we've been, we've been embraced by the cross as Jesus takes our place of alienation so that we can be brought home. Suffering makes you look, at, look to God, it makes you look inward, and hopefully you see more confidence than ever of your connection to God and you cling to God. That's essentially what Satan was saying in the beginning, that he won't cling to you, he'll, stay, he'll just alienate, he'll run, he won't cling to you when the suffering comes. So I hope you cling, I hope you cling to God. What will be your song, in a sense? There was a song that we sang earlier in the service, For he is good, for he is good, for he is good to me. I like how that song says that phrase over and over because it's almost like you can't ignore it. It just keeps coming back. Do I believe that? For he is good, for he is good, for he is good to me. Will that be your song? Like Job, when you face unexplained hardships. And you don't, like Job, he never got the explanation of, you know, the peek behind the curtain at the conversation between God and Satan. He never got the explanation and still sang what will be your song? You know, I, I, I found this hymn by Ray Palmer. And, it, and it's sort of a psalm that has four stanzas. It's called, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. And it represents sort of the, each one of them a sort of different phase of the faith life. And so the third stanza is his articulation of suffering and struggle in his life of faith. And this is how it goes. While life's dark maze I tread, and griefs around me spread. Be thou my guide. Bid darkness turn to day. Wipe sorrow's tears away. Nor let me ever stray from thee aside. Let's pray. God, I pray that suffering doesn't drive us away from you, but that it keeps us at your side that we won't stray. That uh, whether we're processing hurts and wounds of the last year or of the last decade or whether we're sitting in a sense comfortably wondering uh, when we might have an experience that registers with this kind of stuff where we have to have our faith tested wherever we find ourselves I pray that you uh, teach us that you speak to our hearts uh, in such a way that we grow in that faith that clings to you, that our experience, whether we're new to faith or whether we're seasoned in the faith journey, our, ex- our experience will include a strong sense of encountering the gracious God who puts himself in our place so that we can be brought home. And may that be what we cling to as we face the darkness of this world. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.